You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, we ask now that as we open your word that you would speak to us, or that you would transform our hearts and minds into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. May the preaching of your word be your word for the sake and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to look today at Luke chapter 6, which is our gospel passage that was just read. I don't know about you, but love is a bit of a confusing word in our culture because we tend to love everything. We use that word for a lot of things. I loved my pancakes this morning or my waffles. Well, I certainly love my football team. Or I love my family. We use it all in the same kind of breath. We love things. If there's something we like, then we love that. So it can be a bit confusing. The human language will use the word love to denote uh, an emotion. And it's the most likely used word for emotions that we have. We think about love as this powerful, everlasting emotion that sweeps us away into everlasting joy. It's a fun idea to think about. How many date nights have consisted of you going to dinner, then going out to see some romantic comedy with your significant other? There is that idea that this force of the naked angel in a diaper can shoot someone with an arrow and somebody feels it, right? Love, there it is. You can't deny it, you can't get away from it. We have no control of it, right? It's a nice idea, but there's some problems when we think about love like that. One, can we trust a kind of love that in its beginning came from a puberty-stricken teenage boy or girl? That's what I've just explained to you. It's what I've just described. And at some point, you've probably experienced that kind of love. However, it's often not sustaining, it's not fulfilling, and it's not safe. Secondly, this type of love is also not a biblical type of love. Scripture teaches us that God's design for love is the most deep and most sustaining type of love that there is. It's this type of love we see Jesus challenging us with in Luke's gospel today. Jesus is going to take love to very different place to comprehend. Outside of Christ's regenerative love and work in our lives, there's no way we can experience the kind of love Jesus is speaking about in this text. Let's pick up here in verse 27, if you've got your bulletins or your Bible in front of you. It says this, but I say to you who hear, let me just stop there for a moment. Unapologetically, Jesus says, there will be some of you who are unable to hear what I'm about to say. Some might even find it hard and offensive, but if you're willing to listen, Jesus says, I have something that you need to do. You know, Jesus will often use the phrase in the Gospels, uh, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. It's always a funny phrase to me. Everybody has ears, right? So what does he mean by that? He means that some of us have ears, but we're not willing to listen. We hear things and we go, well, that was nice, but we're not willing to apply. He knows in particular in this passage, he's speaking to religious folks who are listening as well as his disciples These religious folks who've bought into this grandeur of their own righteousness. And he's bringing in the idea of grace and love beyond the empty practices that so many partook of in that day. And here's a newsflash. We partake of some of these things today ourselves. 
We get into a rhythm. I'm guilty of it. Like many of you, where we show up for church, we participate in adult education, we're even involved in a small group. But when we hear things in scripture that are difficult and hard, the truth of scripture, it's hard to obey and practice them. We walk away from a hard teaching and we say things like, that was really good. Or I needed to hear that. Or my favorite, I know someone who needed to hear that. Indicating we certainly didn't, right? In order to understand what Jesus is really saying to us, we have to put aside our prejudices and assumptions and really listen to what he has to say. But also, I want you to be thinking today, how does this, how does this need to change the way I live my life this afternoon, this week, or this year? This passage in particular is one that is likely to evoke some emotion. The other thing I'll say and I'll say more about it at the end, is the context of the passage is, and Jesus speaking this morning, is how believers respond to unbelievers. And it should be clear for us in just a moment to see that. First, after the directive to listen, to really listen, to use our ears, this is what Jesus says. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, clearly, we already have a problem with Cupid love versus biblical love. How do we love our enemies? Well, Jesus says this, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. These are things that require initiative on our part, and they all fit together because something is being done to you, and your response is counter to the action that's being done against you. Have you had the crazy neighbor in your life yet? You live by the crazy neighbor? Maybe you are the crazy neighbor, I don't know. But the crazy neighbor, you know the one, right? That, that, that patch of grass in between your house and his house, nobody can decide whose patch of grass that is and who has to take care of it, who has to mow it. And so you just let it go thinking the neighbor will do it. He lets it go thinking you'll do it. And then before long, you start losing children in there because the grass is so high. Somebody's got to mow it, right? As simple as that might be, Scripture actually speaks to that this morning when Jesus says, for those who dislike you or hate you, he's saying, do good to them. It's really talking about who hate us because of our faith. But if our neighbor hates me because of the patch of grass, maybe I can mow the grass. And maybe I can go a step further and get the trash cans after they're empty and roll them up to his garage for him. My grandmother used to say a phrase all the time that I loved and I also hated at the same time. She would say, if that person doesn't like you for some reason, you kill them with kindness. I thought that's a great phrase, but man, is that really hard to do? It might be your neighbor. It might be your coworker. It might be your cousin for all I know. Our problem is that we tend to focus too much on ourselves and on our immediate needs and overlook the needs of others. To love as God loves is to focus more on others. We can only do this if we have a strong inner sense of security and self-acceptance that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is not at all asking us to do something unnatural here. We do not naturally want to hate others or to be hated. We want to be loved and to love. 
Many will see parts of the world all over for years that have been in this process of hatred and, re- and, and retaliation. It's this never-ending spiral of vengeance and loss of life. And the only way to break this cycle is to do here what Jesus says, to love those who are our enemies. It's not a lose-lose. It's not a lose-win. It's a win-win situation. Is there an antagonist in your life that by doing good toward them, you actually show them the gospel. Who is that in your life? Is there someone who curses you, whether for spiritual beliefs or for other reasons? Scripture says our response is to bless them. Pray for those who abuse you. So we lay in bed at night, not replaying the incident with that person wishing we could have done it differently or had the jab that went back at them for their jab, but instead we pray for them. That God would move in them, deliver them, heal them, and even save them. To put Jesus' teaching into effect is not a matter of strengthening our will to do something very difficult, but to change our conventional thinking at the deepest level to see things the way he does. Once we do this, once we begin to allow the very heart of, of stone, as Ezekiel describes it, to become softened, then in Christ, we're able to love our enemy much easier. Now, those things are initiatives that we do, but Jesus follows it up with our reactions, the things that are done against us and what our reactions should be. In verse 29, he says it this way, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't like that one. I don't like that a lot. I don't like that at all. Because at first glance, I begin to think, if somebody hits me, I got to turn around and let them hit my other cheek. That's not natural. That's as though I was saying, I'm walking down 20th and somebody comes up and they're mugging me and they take my wallet and they take my phone. And while they're mugging me, I reach down and grab the hidden $20 bill in my sock and hand that to them as well. Did anybody else think like that when you hear that passage? Well, if you do, and your twisted mind is a little like mine, history will help you in this case. And so tune in. Jesus is speaking to his disciples because he is well aware that in the future, they'll be teaching and preaching a gospel that is counter to the religious leaders of the day. He says elsewhere in scripture that they will face persecution. They will be thrown out of the synagogue in his name. So in the context of what Jesus is saying to turn the other cheek or to give up your coat, he's saying in the ceremony, and there's a ceremony that happens in the synagogue, that the last thing when you're thrown out of the synagogue for disagreeing with the religious leaders, do you know what they did the last thing? They slapped them on the face in humiliation. Jesus shows this when he's brought before the high priest and questioned for his teaching. When Jesus didn't answer like they thought he should, what happened? They struck him on the face. You're out of here. It's a shaming of a person. I don't know of too many slaps that have ever actually killed anybody. I mean, maybe somebody can slap that hard, but I haven't seen it or heard about it. It's not meant to, to, to kill you. It's meant to disrespect, humiliate, and shame the person that's being slapped. So Jesus says, when they slap you for proclaiming the truth in my name, 
you turn the other cheek as well because the cause in which you're being slapped is well worth it. It's for the sake of the kingdom. And again, it's a question of seeing things from Jesus's perspective or God's viewpoint. Turning the other cheek as it's presented here is not an act of weakness. It's easy to hit back. It's almost an instinctive reaction, but it's not what we're called to do if we're proclaiming the gospel. The cloak was similar in that it was the coat that was often used as a blanket at night. And so in the persecution, if someone were to take your cloak from you because they didn't agree with you or because they hated you for some reason, it was to make you feel the bitter cold of winter. You didn't have a cloak, you didn't have a blanket. But he says, if that happens for the sake of persecution, for my name, you don't only give them the cloak, you go ahead and give them the tunic as well. Because the thing you're suffering for is worth suffering for. An example of this was Stephen in the book of Acts. When he was drugged out of the city and stoned, what were the words that Stephen uttered in Acts chapter 7? Do you remember them? He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's being tortured and persecuted and killed for the sake of the gospel. And yet he says, do not hold this sin against them. Do you know who was standing in the crowd overseeing that death? Saul of Tarsus. Saul would become Paul. Paul would go on to write 75% of the New Testament that we have in front of us today. The divine act of love filled with the Holy Spirit, loving those who hated him, laid the groundwork for 75% of the New Testament scriptures. Loving others who hate us has power because the gospel is proclaimed. And then after a few other reactions that Jesus mentioned here, which we don't have a lot of time to go into this morning, but he comes back to verse 31. And this is Luke's recount of the golden rule that Jesus taught. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He made it clear throughout that the context here is we respond and react to those who are not believers when they do things to us. In other words, the golden rule, while it can certainly be applied in any circumstance, is spoken by Jesus to the disciples on how they need to react to unbelievers so that they might hear the gospel. Now, don't think for a minute that I don't use this in my house all the time with three boys. You can ask any of them. They'll hear the following phrase at least once a week. Do you like when someone punches you as hard as you can? And their response is usually no. To which I reply, then stop doing it to others. I mean, that's an ongoing saga in our home with three boys. And so there is applicable things for do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But Jesus in this context is saying how we treat people outside of the grace of God is important. If you were outside of the grace of God, if you were outside of the forgiveness of God this morning, if you were outside of the love of God this morning, meaning you had never sought forgiveness through the blood of Jesus and you'd never surrendered your life to Jesus, how would you want a believing man or woman to respond to you in order that you might see the gospel clearly. I mentioned it at the beginning that Jesus is teaching believers how to respond to unbelievers in these various situations that the unbeliever might come to a saving knowledge of Christ and repent. Now, sure, again, some of us will, there's crossover here that believers to believers relationships, we can use a lot of these things. 
But there's some pretty clear scripture elsewhere that tells how believers should be reacting to believers. For instance, believers are to be engaged, disciplined, discipled, confronted, and even if need be, removed from fellowship for their refusal to submit to the authority of Jesus and his word. That's an act of love in hopes that they would repent and come back. But that's another sermon for another day, so we won't go down that rabbit hole. But what, what we're seeing today is what it looks like to actively live out the gospel in our day-to-day lives. We at the Advent talk about the gospel all the time. And for us to be faithful to the gospel, we have to be willing to love people like Jesus is calling us to love people. Those who might hate us for our faith, those who might hate us for other reasons, what does it look like to proclaim the gospel to them? And so then he wraps it up like this in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who you expect to get in return, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you'll be the sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. There's so much here that we could talk about, but let me just sum it up for you what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't be the person who does good for someone just so that next week you can say, hey, remember what I did? It's time to repay that now. He's saying we do good, not expecting anything in return that they might hear the gospel, see the gospel, feel the gospel. That's the gospel. So instead, we love our enemies. We do good. We lend. We expect nothing in return. Why does God call us into these things? Did you notice the phrases there? It is of no benefit to you. He says it twice. It is of no benefit to you. And then he says this, it's no credit to you. We don't do these things, these commands of God to reduce pleasure, but to actually experience deeper pleasure in him. God is not glorified by begrudging submission, but rather an overflow of joy, depth, beauty, and life. Did you hear that? God is not glorified by begrudging submission, but rather an overflow of joy, depth, beauty, and life. Jesus is challenging his disciples, those who would follow him, to do something different than the world. I think he's given us the same challenge this morning. Now, I struggled on how to land this plane on this sermon. What do we do with this, right? How do we apply this to our life? How does this really play out in our own world? And I began to ask, Lord, what is it that I might be missing in my own life in order to be able to do the things that you're calling me to do to proclaim the gospel to those who might not even like me? And he spoke these words. Where where your heart is hard, you pray for a heart like mine. Where your eyes cannot see, you pray for eyes to see as I do. And where you struggle with the words to say, pray for the words to speak that reflect me. That's my prayer for you this morning. 
That's my prayer for us this morning, that as we hear these very challenging things of what it looks like to interact with unbelievers who may not even like us, God, would you give me a heart to love them, to love them when they think they're my enemy? Would you give me a heart to love them? And so I want to pray that for us this morning as I close. Let us pray. Father, we confess we don't do this well so many times because it's not our natural instinct. When someone hurts us, we want to hurt them oftentimes. When someone does wrong to us, even if we don't want to do wrong, we certainly don't want to go and love them. And so, Lord, would you give us a heart like yours? Would you give us eyes to see where the kingdom is not so that we can enter into those places and proclaim the good news of the gospel? Would you give us words when we don't have any that might reflect who you are in our lives? so that all might see and all might hear your gospel. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, who gives us that strength. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.